and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So hello folks and welcome to yet another episode from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales forward in the Sales Chat Show studio, along with my good self, Simon Hazeldean, I have Mr. Graham Jones and Mr. Phil Jessen, the gang are back together to record another episode for you folks. And this one is on the topic of leadership. It's actually, we're going to start off with talking quite negatively about leadership, because the title of this episode is called Why You Keep Making the Same Fatal Mistakes Every Single Time You Recruit a New Sales Leader. This episode was inspired by Mr. Jessen telling us of his Sunday morning reading of the Sunday Times newspaper. Yes, listeners, Phil never takes a day off from the sales chat show, even on a Sunday morning when he's supposed to be relaxing with a cup of coffee and chatting with Mrs. Jessen. He is, in fact, preparing episodes for the sales chat show. And what did you find out from your reading of the Sunday Times, Phil, about bad leadership. Well, um, thank you very much for that lovely introduction, Simon. Um, the interesting feature in the Sunday Times is based around a new book. So in fairness to Dr. Brian Class, that's K-L-A-A-S, Class, um, the book title is Corruptible, Who Gets the Power and How It Changes Us? But the journalist concerned here uh, goes on to point out that in society and in business, we often get the wrong leaders and that power attracts those most likely to abuse it and then makes them worse. Um, And I'll uh, stop there, if I may, because it reminded me that uh, our very lovely own Graham there some months ago made some very controversial statements about Mm -hmm. leadership. He's now looking very worried, uh, quite rightly, because he did actually go out on a limb on this one, although it pains me to say I think he may well be right, and normally I disagree with Graham, but on this particular issue, uh, his very controversial views that there are no such thing as good leaders, et cetera. uh, I have the the quotation, Mr. Jessen, written written verbatim. Uh, quotation one, sales targets are a really good idea. You should have them. No, 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 no actually, no. he didn't say that, dear listeners. Wasn't he that one. doesn't believe in sales targets. Please make sure you listen to those episodes. Just co- I'm contractually obligated to mention the fact that Graham does not believe in sales targets in every episode. Uh, Graham's quote was, all leaders are fundamentally flawed and there is no such thing as a good one. He was obviously feeling particularly motivational and inspirational that day, probably for some of your students. I'm sure you you filled them with inspiration as they began their career in business, Graham, after your lectures. I've, I've so. just got this lovely, lovely, lovely picture in my mind of Graham applying for a job some years ago and when asked to comment on his 
leadership ability, he actually said, well, uh, I haven't been a good leader. I am fundamentally flawed. But uh, there we go. Over to you, Graham. <laughs> In all seriousness, Mr. Mr. Jones, give us your enough frivolity and joking around. You're 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 we're. we're we are slightly quoting you out of context as well, of course, as we as we often try as to do, do to get you into trouble. Uh, so uh, what, thank what, you for your kind words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> your comments, please. Sir. Um, I think at the moment we're living in an environment around the world where we see lots of flawed political leaders. Yes. Um, so everybody, wherever you live in the world at the moment, uh, you have problems with people in a leadership position. Um, and that's because those people have wanted to be in that leader position because they crave power. They crave being superior over somebody else. And regardless of the fact that every politician will tell you uh, that they're doing it because they want to help people, actually, beneath it all, there is an element of being able to have some degree of control, some degree of ability to have some kind of power over other people. Now, some MPs and members of parliament have less of that desire and do actually want to help people, um, but there's still an element of wanting to be in charge. Um, and when you want to be in charge in business, the reason you become a sales leader, the reason you become a chief executive is because what you want to boss people around. You want to make sure that the business is run the way you expect it to be run. Uh, and so you put yourself in a position to be able to do that. But that actually means that you're much more focused on yourself and much less focused on the people around you. The one thing we know about leaders is that they have very low levels of emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is being able to effectively empathize with other people. In fact, many chief executives score highly on scales of psychopathy. So many chief executives, people who are pushing themselves to the very top of leadership, and in fact, many politicians score very high for being psychopaths. And psychopathy is for our listeners, Graham, is people don't necessarily have a connection with their emotions and their um character around the way they treat others perhaps yeah. that the, 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 the most people in society would have yeah. they're able to it's either not there or they can turn it on and off i think is yeah so they they have a difficulty in connecting their emotions to other people effectively um whereas a sociopath uh is somebody who is kind of very similar but hasn't always been like that. So a sociopath is, is largely developed by society. So they still have difficulties, but there isn't a fundamental flaw in their way of uh, connecting their emotions to, to other people. So people who are psychopaths are very much more focused on themselves and they find it really difficult to understand how other people feel. And we see a lot of that in leadership because the person who wanted to become a leader is doing it for their own emotional benefit and not for the emotional benefit of those around them. There is a, a book that I read a number of years ago um, um, on 
um, sort of like the the positive aspects of psychopathy. That in so, for example, they were quoted surgeons who are able to to turn off their identification with the patient in order to perform surgery to a very very high standard. I think if I recall, they'd they looked at some special forces soldiers had the ability yeah. to 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 access this kind of aspect of their personality. So a leader, for example, might have to make a very dispassionate, very, very tough, tough decision that maybe involves lots of people losing their jobs or something. So there might be an element there that having the cold, calm, collected approach to that decision making, might that not have some advantages, though? Yeah, so that, that's the process of dehumanization. And as Phil knows, people in the military have to do this. You can't um, go out to shoot the enemy if you perceive them as individual human beings. Yeah. It's, it's too tough. Uh, and so there's a process in the military of enabling the enemy to be seen not as individual human beings, but as some kind of distant group of people. So there's a dehumanization. You're right, surgeons as a whole dehumanize the patient because it's not normal human behavior to stick a knife in someone and make them bleed yeah um, and so you to do that every day you don't see the patient uh, as a patient they become a case so they talk about the case in other words they're dehumanizing it they're not talking about mrs blenkinsop on the table they're talking about this case um, and so they distance themselves and in fact, lots of the paraphernalia, like putting screens up and so on, is stopping them seeing the patient as an individual. So it helps them dehumanise it. It becomes a mechanical, scientific procedure. And of course, every doctor will tell you, of course, I see them as patients, uh, as individuals. Yes, they do, but not whilst they're sticking the knife in. Yeah, So uh, they have to dehumanise to be able to do it. So there are lots of cases, and you're right, if you run a company and you've got to make a 1,000 people redundant because you haven't got any money and to keep the remaining people in your business there, you've got to make those people redundant. You don't see them as individuals. They're just numbers. But here's the problem, that when you dehumanise people in that way, so a business goes, well, we need a leader who dehumanises a lot, because we're going to have to make difficult decisions. The problem is you've employed someone who dehumanizes probably all the time, that they, okay. they are distant emotionally to people in the office when they don't need to dehumanize them. So in terms of the title, we said, you know, the, the same sort of fatal mistakes that people are making. So is there something around not giving enough consideration to people's motivation to want to be a leader so you might want to explore that more as part of the recruitment process yeah so why do they want to take on this job is clearly yeah. a key question that you're going to be asking but one of the things that any of us in recruitment when we're recruiting people do is we kind of get that gut feel and we get the gut feel that this person is a leader because they're talking about you know from a leadership way so we are as a society, we have a view as to what a leader is, and they're flawed, yeah. and they dehumanise, and they've got elements of psychopathy. So when we see somebody like that in front of us, we go, aha, that must be a leader, and we put them in that job. Whereas I do an exercise, and I know perhaps many people in training and so on do an exercise where you give people a task, and yet you get people around them to watch them doing the task. So the thing I do is called the submarine game. So in the submarine game, you tell a group of uh, people 
you know, there might be, I don't know, six or eight of them in the room, and you tell those six or eight that they are in a submarine, it has sunk to the bottom of the ocean, uh, but they are relatively close to the surface and they can escape. They are near to a tropical island, um, but it's uninhabited, but they can get out of the submarine to the tropical island. And they have got 13 different objects they can take with them that are in the submarine to help them survive. Um, and the objects include things like a parachute silk, uh, an electric fire. So these are seemingly random objects that are in the submarine. And what the group is asked to do is to work out, first of all, as individuals, which of these objects would they take to the tropical island from the submarine? Uh, and then as a group, decide the top five objects they're going to take. So they've got to choose five out of the 13. Um, and of course, inevitably, in that discussion, somebody emerges as the leader and the group accepts that leadership person because that person is exhibiting what we perceive as leadership behaviours. But all around this group, as another group of people are observing what's going on. And at the end of this, this exercise takes about, I don't know, 40 minutes generally. But at the end of this, I then asked the two groups who was the leader. The people who were immersed in the group all point to one person and say that person was the leader. And everybody who observes the group says, no, no, that person wasn't the leader. It was this other person. Yeah, I've done a, I've done a <clears throat> variation of this exercise where you, you track who says the most. Yeah. And at the end, who actually knows the most versus an expert. That's like we do a survival scenario, a similar thing. And it's very interesting. Often the person who says the most is the person who doesn't actually know very well, much. And you've got a quieter person who yeah. actually is the most knowledgeable person. And I think that's a commentary there. The, the quote-unquote leader, as in the person who dominated, and that's why I'm saying quote-unquote leader, is not necessarily the person best equipped now, they might have to make the decision as a leader, but they need the counsel of others, don't they? They need that wise counsel of people need to know what you don't know. It's kind of like Dunning-Kruger syndrome, isn't it? The cognitive bias where people who know less assume they know more than they actually do. And the true experts undervalue because they realize how much they, they don't know, despite the fact they're a real expert. So, yeah, that's an interesting because <clears throat> we need to think about the style of person that we are an approach and character of the person we're recruiting. I mean, I guess the other, the other fatal mistake is you recruit yourself yep. is the other thing. If you're not super careful, you end up recruiting the candidate that you feel the most comfortable with. And guess what? They're just like well, you. It's also so, cultural, isn't it? Because we've all heard that phrase, people like us yeah. or whatever, or is he or she a company person? Uh, meaning, you know, when we, when we look in the mirror, uh, we're really looking for people who are exactly like us. One of, one of the points that the article makes, which I thought was very interesting, is that when companies look at who they're going to promote, they only look at the queue of people who are pushing themselves forward mm -hmm. for promotion. Um, they don't look at the people in the background who might be better leaders and one of the interesting um, people that we've talked about last year was Gareth Southgate and for people who don't know Gareth Southgate current manager of the England football team but 
in the early part of his career, he made it quite clear that he had no intention whatsoever of managing the England football team. But through his management of the junior team, and no doubt through the way that he built very, very effective partnerships with all of the backup staff and all the coaches, somebody somewhere saw in this quiet, modest man the potential to go a lot further. So I think Gareth Southgate was probably nudged and pushed nicely into that senior leadership role because that wasn't really what it, what he set out his stall to do in the first place. And I think one of the things that organisations should be encouraged to do through team building games, team building simulations, whether they be in a classroom or the grounds of a hotel or on a, a wild moor in Derbyshire or wherever, is to have a look at the people who come through the pack rather than those who are at the front of the pack initially. And my experience of that is it's very often the quiet, unassuming man or woman who up until now has had a fairly rigid view of what they're capable of suddenly discovers something in themselves that is absolutely pure magic and they rise to the top of the pile and the team and they suddenly realize wow wow you've done an absolutely fantastic leadership job on that particular task so that's something that companies need to be looking out for i think so the kind of mistake there phil is the people jostling at the front of the queue you might yeah. want to look a little bit further down yeah down the queue. and we all know we all know how that works it's the it's the people who are always in the uh, in the board's face pushing yes. themselves yes. forward making it quite clear in their review meetings that they are interested in a promotion uh, it's people that are sending emails at two o'clock in the morning trying to convince their boss that they are a company soul through and through. It's all of that stuff that actually tends to pull the wool over people's eyes and they are not necessarily the right people at all. All they're doing is showing an interest in promoting their career, not showing an interest in wanting to be inspirational leaders who are taking the team or the business to the next stage in its development i also i also wonder is is that 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 um what you've said makes me remember some training i got when i was a relatively new sales manager we were doing some kind of recruitment training i, I was lucky to work for an organization that invested very heavily in in sort of upskilling and developing people and i can i can remember the person running this session on recruitment saying if you don't know what you're looking for you're not going to find it and it was like this one of those sort of like blindingly obvious but very true, powerful things. And, mm. and I wonder if if people say, we want a strong leader. Everybody say, you hear this quite a lot. Everyone says, oh, we want a strong leader. We want a strong leader. But have we actually defined what we mean by a strong leader? Do we end up with a very strong command and control style of leader, which we would all think is has its place yeah. in emergency and, and crisis situations and we're not saying command and control isn't a suitable style but it's definitely not a suitable style all of the time yeah. and it's definitely not a suitable style with 
more Graham, modern Graham. generations either, right? So I, I, I will defer to Graham on that point, being the, the psychologist in the team. But one of the points that the article makes is that you're absolutely right, Simon. We tend to look for physical traits in our leaders as well. We want larger than life people. We want tall people. We don't want short people being leaders. We have this thing going back thousands of years where we are looking for the strong person that's going to lead us out of the cave so we can go off and kill a bison somewhere. Before we came on the air, Phil, you mentioned it, it references something from evolutionary psychology, right? as literally yeah. we unconsciously choose larger as in taller people. Yeah, I, I, I can actually read it here. Uh, it, it says basically evolutionary psychologists argue that our brains haven't evolved much since the Stone Age when following an overconfident strongman hunter might have been a good idea. Our societies have changed radically and it's no longer a smart strategy. Our brains haven't caught up. But the point in this, according to the article, when we wonder how someone so unfit for the job ended up in charge, we need only to look in a society sized mirror. When you listen to a train crash interview with a cabinet minister fumbling over answers to basic questions, remember that like it or like it not, you put them there when you voted for them. <laughs> that sounds like a, a bit of a bit of a damning article. I've got to say, I have heard this before. I'm just attempting to process the concept of somebody's height as a characteristic of their capability as a leader that is that's unless there is some data that mr jones is now about to trot out that says that there is a correlation between effective leadership and i that's got to be crazy right that's no, got to be not a crazy really you, you find it in most mammals so that in most mammals the leader of the pack is the bigger animal yeah, yeah. um and so the the reason for that is that as much as we might like to think that our highly sophisticated uh, cognitive skills in our brain that have enabled us to send um, interplanetary devices and to create the internet and so on, all of those kind of wonderful things that we've been able to achieve, actually the bulk of our brain is diddly squat different to mammals that have been on the earth for millions of years um, and that our brain is composed of three physical bits and the two physical bits at the back of our head are pretty much the same. Uh, as, and they're the bits that keep us alive and keep us functioning and keep us going. Uh, they dominate our behaviour. So almost everything we do is about survival instincts. And so what we're doing, we're looking for a leader, effectively, that those, those non-thinking bits of our brain are telling us subconsciously that this person is going to help us survive. And mm. so somebody who's bigger is going to help protect us. They're going to be in the way of threats uh, to us. They're going to be physically able to withstand things. So you, so you find it in mammals, you find it in all kinds of uh, situations, and particularly in human situations, where our leaders tend to be taller than the people uh, who are not the leaders. Um, and so you tend to, you know, and so that we have in, in our subconscious, it's about survival instincts. So often the leaders we choose are that evolutionary bit of helping us survive. Um, that's not the cognitive bit. The cognitive bit is that when we look at the, 
the submarine game, it's the person who comes up with the most knowledge and the most logical answer is usually the quiet person who yeah. hasn't been, you know, at the forefront of the discussion. So you yeah. do find that um, we, we mistake who a good leader is. There are creature animals, though, that don't do leadership in the same way, because the um, fact is that Phil was saying that, you know, the leaders at the front of the um, the organisation are looking at the people, you know, lining up behind them to take over as new leaders. So those people can't see into the depth of the organisation to find out people who might be better because they're kind of hidden behind this array of people who are all screaming, I'm the next leader, I'm the next leader. Whereas, as you know, Simon, because you visited the Wolf um, yes. uh, organization, which is actually just down the road from where I live, or it was. Char um, the charity folks where yeah. uh, they they look after uh, uh, packs of wolves. Packs don't of wolves, yeah. yeah. But packs of wolves have leaders at the back of the pack. Yes. And yeah. so they put the leaders at the back because the leaders at the back can spot other wolves who are having a problem uh, maybe have an issue that is a threat so they can protect their pack by being at the back i mean they have leaders at the front as well but they have other leaders at the back whereas in our organizations we have you know if you look at a family tree of a business you'll have you know the the sales directors at the top and then the sales managers and then sales people and then sales assistants um how many of the the leaders at the top are looking at the world from the sales assistance perspective. They're, I, not, I they're looking down on them rather than looking up to the leaders from the bottom. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I um, I remember I'd I was uh, very fascinated in in wolves and I've been re even reading on them before we went to this this charity to sort of meet these uh, incredible creatures. And I, I remember asking one of the experts who was there, I said, uh, I've heard that often it's like a matriarchy, like the alpha female is in charge, not the male. And she said, oh, leadership rotates. Okay, the male, the alpha male, alpha female tend to do most of it. But she said, it's an incredibly stressful job being in charge. And they rotate it depending on what is what is needing leading at the time. So yeah. different different creatures in the pack, different wolves in the pack will 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 take it will take it over. Um, and they they're wolves, right? We're supposed to be more sophisticated, allegedly. But I think that to Graham's point, one of the big mistakes, therefore, is we're letting the wrong part of our brain run the show. So we've got to get our prefrontal cortex engaged here. And I think really define and understand what it is we want. Do what are you looking for? And and decode some of that language. When you say a strong leader, what do you mean? What do you mean a strong leader? You know, because we're using language. It's a code, isn't it? We need to be much more, I think, detailed and open to a wider diversity of people to be considered. Right? Maybe it's the quieter ones. Right? It's and not I'm, always the and the point. The, the point. That, the the point that I'm trying to make is that it's impossible to interview leadership potential. You have to actually see it yeah uh, and i've been lucky in my previous life in, in the military to be involved in assessment exercises of potential leaders uh, you know the type of thing there would be 12 potential leaders in an exercise that would typically last 30 or 40 minutes ropes and barrels and logs and all of the sort of kit that are used in these tasks and what first appears is that the nominated leader for that task is being tested. They're not. 
only 10% of the, of the people doing the assessment, only 10% of their time is looking at the leader. The other 90% of the time is looking at how everybody else is behaving. Who's the individual in that team who is trying to shaft the leader, waiting for their own opportunity to come up later on during the day? Well, they're out for a start, of course. But what they're particularly interested in is who are the people in that team who are being supportive of the leader, trying to make things happen for them? Who are the people in that team who've got the courage to actually stand up to the leader and offer a plan B and a plan C, et cetera, et cetera? So you only get to analyze all of that stuff when people are doing leadership as opposed to talking about it or writing about it on a glowing cv so i think cast your net a bit wider folks and you know the more you can see the person behaving the better a chance you have of getting it right which i think yeah. is false point. Now, you can't always i know people can't always go to the expense of those sort of uh, those sort of exercises but if you're recruiting from within why don't you start to put more people in situations where they might be able to demonstrate leadership because you might get some real surprises about where your next generation of leaders are going to be coming from and they might not fit the current mold and that's probably a really really good thing because if you want to take your organization somewhere else you're not going to do it with the same kind of thinking as you you've you've got currently um having having reflected on what you've said however um as as somebody who's a very impressive six six foot tall person i quite like this idea that taller people make the best leaders i've got to say i know i know that's entirely irrational but i am i am starting to feel very drawn to that drawn to that concept (laughs) what an insane seriously folks what a crazy way of deciding who should lead your sales team into the future is how tall somebody is other than the fact that it's clearly going to be discriminatory in all sorts of very well, very you, you were only very you were, very dangerous and dodgy ways that is just you were you were uh, only tall you were only tall at that interview because you were stood on a box at the time yes, that's 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 i've got my platform heels on to make yeah. me six foot two or, or or six foot three so i mean i think leadership's a tough job being a leader's a tough job takes character uh, nobody's going to be perfect we hope we've given you some some thoughts and ideas to try to I think overcome all of our biases and preconceptions that we have, you know, our brains as Graham was explaining are kind of hardwired in some strange evolutionary ways that may or may not always be suitable for a, for a modern world. Uh, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jesson, closing, closing thoughts, closing ideas, suggestions for our listeners. I would suggest if you have never watched it, um, whether you're in the United States or you're in the UK, watch the TV program, the apprentice, Uh, because at the beginning of each program the group has to choose a leader and the process of choosing a leader um, involves lots of shouting uh, and lots of uh, people bigging up their ego driven lack of emotional intelligence position Um, and you're watching the tv going you're the last person who should lead this task the other person sitting in the corner is being very quiet. And in fact, the TV producers are very good at helping you work out who that person is in their edits and their cutaway um, shots. Um, And at the end, you discover, as it is here in the UK, you 
you've got Lord Sugar screaming and ranting at the leader because they were obviously the wrong choice of leader uh, for that particular task. They may have led another task much better, but their ego and lack of emotional intelligence and I want to lead is diverting the whole group who are choosing the wrong leader. There was a classic one on The Apprentice this week where there was an obvious leader for the task and yet she was not chosen as the leader um, because the other people who were, you know, shouting more and she was very quiet, very professional and got ignored. Yeah, it's a great, I mean, I think it's, is it Arnold Schwarzenegger is running it currently in the US, I think. So uh, it'd be, be great to see uh, whether you're in the UK, you, whichever version you're seeing, similar similar formula. Yeah. And if, if you're sitting there laughing along and looking at The Apprentice going, God, what a shambles, what a mess. That would never happen in my organisation. Yes, it will. You might want to have a look. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, any thoughts from you? Uh, yes, t- two things. I will just mention the title of the book again, Corruptible, Who Gets the Power and How It Changes Us. But one of the closing points on the article that we've been referring to um, is that the journalist makes the comment that once people get into a position of power, they be- they behave differently and they become more extreme versions of themselves and one of the ideas that companies can put together to uh, mitigate against that is to create what you might call a, a shadow board if you like a shadow cabinet in political terms or a project team where if only for one meeting or two or three days, that group of people from across the organisation come together. They are not in a position of power, but they are in a position of observation and influence. And when you ask that shadow cabinet what their view is on what we ought to be doing about customer service, for example, you can guarantee it will be quite different from what the hierarchical power-based structure intend to do about it. So creating these pockets within the organisations that do not have power, but they have talent, they have influence, and they can make a very valid contribution, even though they might be disbanded two to three days later, etc., etc. I think the interesting one is, you know, when people get into those leadership positions, they change certain aspects of their personality are magnified. It's always worth, when you're looking for the strengths of people, realising that overused strength can become a weakness in and of itself. So bear in mind that some of those things, as Phil said, magnified, multiplied when people get into the pressure of the, the leadership position. So you might find some of the things that you have chosen them for become the very things that derail them or, or, or mess or mess things up. So, uh, you know, that, that also is a, you know, it's a complex, complex kind of thing to try to, to get right and i think that's maybe that's the that's the kind of the thing for the as we close is this a really difficult thing to do realize it's a difficult thing to do and therefore make sure you spend sufficient time and focus and energy to get very very clear on what you're looking for and probably what you're not looking for and probably understand you are not going to get the perfect candidate and maybe you want to accept certain candidates that maybe are less perfect than your ideal, but they're going to have the potential to grow into the role and bring bring a lot of the things with them rather than someone who looks like they're 
you know, ready to go because they're probably not. So, folks, thank you for listening in to this episode of the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales forward. Well over 200 episodes now available from wherever you prefer to get your podcast from, whichever we're on all the major podcast platforms. Please remember to subscribe so you will be notified of new episodes as we release them, which we do on a regular basis. And in the meantime, on behalf of everybody here at the Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling, folks. You have been listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at the Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 